Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming Jerome Spear. Jerome is both a certified safety professional and certified industrial hygienist. He is president of Spear and Lancaster LLC, formerly known as J.E. Spear Consulting, located in Texas. Jerome has over 33 years of experience helping organizations control losses and prevent injuries and illnesses. He holds a BS degree in industrial engineering with a specialization in system safety engineering from Texas A&M University and a master's degree in business administration with a specialization in management from Sam Houston State University. He has held the positions of corporate industrial hygiene manager for Chicago Bridge and Iron Company, a worldwide engineering and construction company, and technical services manager for Excel Specialty Risk Consulting. Jerome also is a fellow of the American Industrial Hygiene Association. Hey, Jerome, how are you doing today? Good, Ted. How y'all doing? Good. Hey, we're very excited to have you on our podcast today. Um, you and I have worked together, you know, in the past many moons ago, but you always have been able to explain IH to me, to somebody that just never seems to understand the IH world. So thank you for being on here. And, and our hopes really is, is to educate other people that perhaps are not as intelligent as I am on IH stuff. That's kind of what the idea is. So thank you for being on the show. Sure, it's my pleasure. And like I said, just feel free to ask me anything, and I'll try to do my best to answer the questions as best I can. Well, sounds good. What Can you kind of give our um, audience a little bit of background about you and yourself and, and your company too, please? Yeah, I started, I have an industrial engineering degree from A&M with the system safety specialty. And from there, I went to, to work for Chicago Bridge and Iron Company, which I'm, I believe you're familiar with, which is an engineering and construction company specializing in, in steel plate products and process construction and worked for them for nine years in different different projects and in, including overseas and and in, in a couple of their shops and on the west coast as a regional safety manager for CB, cbi services which is the union side of the company and then i was promoted to the corporate office in plainfield illinois where Part of my role was the corporate industrial hygienist for CBNI um, at that time. I worked there for two and a half years before I decided to move on, move back to Texas, where I'm originally from, and went to work for a company that was based in Exton, Pennsylvania, which at the time was a managing general underwriting agency, which they wrote insurance, mostly environmental pollution policies for different types of business units. And they wrote on behalf of, at the time, it was Reliance National, which was an insurance company. And during the first year, the company was bought by another insurance company called XL Capital. So we transitioned from being a a profit center, essentially, to a support staff. <laughs> which yeah. is really a big a big change, right? I mean, that that's... 
Exactly. So we had we had quite a staff when I went to work for them initially. But then, as you can see, there's quite a bit of layoffs after probably two or three, three years into it. And during that time, we had a division which we provided technical consulting services for non-insureds of Excel, as well as also as a unbundled service, meaning it's not part of the premium, meaning that the insurer is going to pay for the service. And I managed five consultants who worked remotely from their, their homes in California. But ultimately, Excel laid off about, I don't know how, how many, I would say over 60% of the loss control staff. They laid off all five of my my direct reports. I was not laid off, but the progression or the direction of the company was to outsource more of the loss control services. And I saw an opportunity and I, I, I'm more interested in the technical side of things instead of the administrative side of things. It didn't, didn't really appeal to me that the, the assigned task orders to consultants to do the work. I'd rather be the one doing the work. And so I made a decision to, at that time, after five years with the company to resign from the company and start my own business. And I immediately signed a contract with Excel once I did that. And it wasn't as smooth <laughs> as I would like to be, especially the first six to eight months. They never difficult. are though, right? They never right. are. <laughs> right. So it was a struggle. So it, it was a struggle, but I made it. Every year I grew, which you know, I've been very fortunate, you know, in that aspect. So, it, you know, in a nutshell, that's the my career path that I've pursued. I actually went to school. I, I got a degree in a safety-related field in engineering discipline, although I didn't originally plan to be a safety professional. I originally, I thought I wanted to be a computer science guy. But <laughs> once I took my first computer science class, I realized these guys are talking a different language. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and they still are, to me at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I really, you know, dropped that class and then started seeking out what I want to do with my life. And I, I realized that there is a great need for safety professionals. And I also looked at the aspect of how likely it was that I would be able to find a job. You know, so there's high demand. And I, I viewed it as fairly high demand. So although I only had one job offer coming out of college, and that was CBI. And then once I started with CBI, I wondered, what the heck did I get myself into? I was I was working out in the field, you know, swinging hammers, you know, grinding welds, doing general labor work. And I just said, what did I go to school for <laughs> if I'm going to do this type of work? But, but looking back, it was an invaluable experience because, I, I mean, it's, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, and I think it also probably allows you to understand from the worker standpoint, safety too, you know, that sometimes us safety people come with great ideas, but maybe not all the time are they the greatest. I mean, the workable ones. So I think you probably got that from that experience, right? And learning how to work with people versus just telling them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was fairly young when I was promoted as a regional safety manager. I actually had someone that reported to me who was much older than me. So that was, you know, that can be difficult transition. And that's how I still stay, stay in touch with them. He's been one of my greatest advocates throughout my whole career. But during a time and when I was out in California, that's when I, I pursued and got my certification as a safety, safety professional. And then after that, I started studying for the CIH and I obtained that in, in 98 when I was in the corporate office. Okay. Well, I know. I just want to touch base. We want to get into more of the IH questions and such. But in regards to starting your own business, like like you said, that's a big venture, kind of scary. We did it a few years back, and it's kind of like you learn definitely as you go. What was your biggest challenge at that point, kind of starting your own thing and veering off? You do have a little bit of a 
I think education and business, right? Business, business administration. Right. I was taken when I was with Excel, I, I started pursuing a master's degree, an MBA degree, which was another challenge because I didn't have a business degree to begin with. So I had to take all these prerequisite courses or clip out of them or complete them somehow, you know, before I can even start my graduate level business courses. So I did that working full time and I was taking one class a semester was taking a very long time. <laughs> so I ultimately it took, it took me six years to, to obtain that. And last year I had to double up on classes. That was a killer doing that. So yeah, during that time I had that, I guess I had somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit because I was progressing up in the company and, and, and my specialty is in management. And that was the direction I was headed. Looking back, there's never a good time to start your own business. You're either, you know, or especially a consulting business. When you don't have a family, you usually don't have the experience for it, right? And then <laughs> once true. you have a family and you have too much obligations to take that risk to put your family at risk of not being able to support them. And then and once you progress beyond your kids, maybe out of, out of school or out of the house, then you have tenure in the company and you're advancing. And so it's really, it's really a difficult time to decide when is best if you if you're going to pursue a, to start your own business, you know, at what time? And I was walking, you know, walked to my partner. He was going through that same same decision because he left a very good paying job. He's been there for over 20 years. He was well established there. And, you know, he's going back and forth. You know, should I should I leave or and, you know, this is something this is a dream of his. But again, there's never a good time. There's always some risk. It's not a leap of faith because we spent two years together meeting together, going through financials, looking at the at, at the projects I, I work on, my clients I work on. You know, so he knew the ins and out of my business and my business model and how I got business and things like that. So it's it wasn't a pure leap of faith. I mean, we researched it. He researched it. You know, same thing with me. I, I probably stepped out a little bit more, I won't say a blind leap of faith, but I I had a lot more risk going on <laughs> than, than, you know, joining a, a, an established consulting company as a partner, you know, and buying into the the partnership. So, you know, as far as I would say, when I started my business in 2004, perseverance was the biggest thing and finances was the biggest thing you know cash flow is is okay. <laughs> cash flow and, and i had a, and, a, and you know my kids were young at the time and you know making sure I had enough money to feed the family you know and, and so that's that, that was the biggest thing but i would say after the first eight months there were some contractual issues that that changed with my primary client at the time that opened the floodgates if you will and I've been busy ever since. And then I always been making a conscious effort not to put all my eggs in one basket and pursue new clients. And I call it priming the pump and I always have a system in place to prime the pump. So you get new clients in there because the bulk of my business is from repeat clients. And so as I add new clients and they become repeat clients and that's how the, the business grows. But, you know, starting off Excel was probably a 95% of my business was for Excel. Now they're, that was like less than 5% of the work I do is for Excel. 
Well, I mean, that's that's a great story because it, it does. It takes that faith that both you and I have, right, to get us through those types of things when starting out and everything like that. But it sounds like you have you have done really a, a neat job at that. Could you kind of um, let our listeners know a little bit more about industrial hygiene and what you see kind of on the on the forefront? You know, years ago when you and I were working together, it was hexavalent chromium was the really big thing that was coming out, and, and now everybody was scared about that because you did this, you did that. And that, that has really evolved into it. What do you see? coming up next you know we've talked about silica that kind of stuff what do you see coming up on the horizon that's really probably the big things that uh, on the IH world well it's still going to be i would say welding fumes in general still going to be a big issue there's 2018 the international agency for research on cancer designated welding as a group one carcinogen and so it may not just be um stainless steel welding that we got to be concerned about but Carbon steel welding and different, different. It's not just related to welding fumes because you have the UV radiation from the welding art, which can cause skin cancer and optical cancer as well. But iron oxide has is, is historically been known as, you know, cause a benign condition called, called siderosis, which is a darkening of the lung. There's some suggestion that iron may play a bigger role on cancer causation indirectly, not directly, but somehow indirectly as far as forming more free radicals in the body. So that's still, you know, a possible risk factor of cancer and virtually, I mean, carbon steel welding, the predominant constituent is iron oxide. I mean, that's as far as that's in the the welding fume. So I'll say welding in general, there's not a whole lot on the regulatory front as far except for the heat standard possibly, and that may be down the road, but I think that's that's the one that OSHA is really pushing right now is the heat standard, right? I mean, and, and they're, yeah, they're really, right. really going after that pretty hard, really. Right. And I, I do support that. And I, I support a, a silica standard for, for several years. And they finally promulgated one back. What year was that? Was that 2016, 2017, somewhere yeah, around in the, there? Yeah, in that ballpark. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, silica, the hazard of silica has been known for many, many years. And I get involved in some silica cases as well. What do you see most of your clients kind of asking you for? What what type of service are they kind of asking you for, you know, when we talk about those different things we're looking at? I do a wide variety of surveys. So being an expert in, in welding fumes, and I, I have a lot of clients who, who do that type of work. So I do a lot of that work, but it just depends. Organic vapors from spray applications, isocyanates, because whenever you're doing any sort of, you know, or planning sort of polyurethane coating, it's going to have some isocyanates in there and, and isocyanates or respiratory sensitizers, which at very low levels, they can sensitize you to to the effects of those exposures, which such as irritation or asthma related symptoms. Methylene chloride, there's a push for um, the EPA to ban methylene chloride. I don't know if it's ever, if it's going to be banned, but essentially any types of solvents. Mm-hmm. It is something that, that organic solvents, you know, I did a case recently involving trichloroethylene, which a truck driver who drove his truck to a plant to the, to pick up a load of trichloroethylene. And, and during the loading operation, there was a leak and he was exposed to it for a short period of time, but at high levels and ended up being diagnosed with um, RADS, which is a reactive airway disorder. And so that was a challenging case, but it did get resolved. There's, I just tell you, there's still a lot of asbestos cases, litigation cases, and litigation. There's a lot of silica case, silicosis cases, and what I see is from that front, as far as silica goes, is engineered stone, which is 
comprised of up to 95% quartz, which has a much higher content than natural stone. So at these shops that fabricate engineered stone products, such as countertops or engineered granite, then they have a much higher risk of even of silicosis. And these can be accelerated silicosis or acute silicosis, which has a much shorter latency periods, even as short as, uh, you know, several weeks. I think just listening to this, like the IH side and the chemicals and what you breathe in, I I don't want to say they're invisible hazards, but like we have a lot of people on here, like let's say we talk about fall protection. Obviously, fall protection is a huge deal and it happens way too much, but I feel there's more like a a physical component, like do this, do this. And I feel like when you talk about all this and what it can lead to inside your body, not knowing what's going on, you know, like you can see a broken bone, you can see some other injuries. And this to me just is, is kind of scary. You, know, you can't necessarily topic. see the progression of it. It's kind of yeah. what you're saying, right? I right. Mean, you can't see the progression until you're there. And I, I just find that a little overwhelming, actually. Yeah. It's just to back up a little bit as far as so everyone understands what industrial hygiene is. The classic definition is the anticipation, recognition, evaluation, control of occupational and environmental health hazards, which the hazards could be chemical in nature, like some of the ones I talked about with will be welding fumes or lead or other metals or organic vapors or asbestos or fibers, dust, mist. They could be physical hazards, which noise exposure is a physical hazard. Radiation is a physical hazard. Thermal stresses such as cold stress, heat stress or physical hazards. Ergonomic related disorders, muscular skeletal disorders such as carpal tunnel syndrome or other repetitive traumas are part of industrial hygiene as a physical hazard. And then you have biological hazards, which bloodborne pathogens, bacteria, viruses, fungi, mold. And so being able to recognize the hazards and assessing the risk of the hazards and industrial hygiene deals with the recognizing the potential severity of hazard and evaluating the risk of the hazards. That is the exposure level so the, the potential consequence times and the exposure level increases the, the risk. As the exposure level of contaminant increases and the hazard of that the potential health effect increases, such as irreversible lung damage, you know, that risk you know, is increased as compared to something that, that is more of a nuisance level exposure. And then, you know, Dutch hygiene deals with the risk of exposure. So identifying how it's, how exposure occurs, how it's generated from the source, the pathway it takes, and then the receptor, you know, meaning the employee, typically it's the employee or the worker or another bystander, and the route of exposure, which could be inhalation, skin contact, and dermal absorption or ingestion. So, and, and then the control, which which you have a hierarchy of controls, which we can get into that if you like. But, but you know, I, I think most of our time as an industrial hygienist, we deal with the evaluation of the hazard and, and assessing the risk of exposure. Are you still seeing a lot of stuff like in restructuring or, or different types of buildings that are being demolished and taken care of and then being done? Are you seeing a lot of lead in those areas, you know, from the older buildings that are being remodeled and that kind of stuff, you know, either lead paint or on steel or wherever it may be? Occasionally. I mean, I do see, I do have a client in California that I do their lead compliance plans for. Now, there are bridge builders. So these are bridges, but I do have another client in located here in Texas that do abatement work and, and remediation work. And I do have done some lead compliance plans for, for that client as well. And those are or older buildings and things of that nature. So, yeah, yes, I do see some of that, but you're talking about, you know, the, the 
pre-1978 construction or so, pre-1980, 1978 construction. So you are talking about older buildings. Yeah. It was just a curiosity question I have because a lot of times, you know, you still have those testers. How accurate are those lead testers that you get from maybe a Home Depot or a, a hardware store, you know, those, and you break them in half and you test them? How accurate do you think most of those are on the lead? Well, they're a qualitative test. So they have a threshold, if I'm not mistaken, of 0.05%, meaning that it, like a lead check swab, you break the ampule and it, it's action based. So you, you wipe, the, wipe it on the paint. And if it turns red, then then it indicates there's, there's lead present. So it tells you that's greater than 0.05%. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm confident in that as a qualitative measure. And, but it's, I do prefer to, to collect lead or paint chip samples and send it off to, to the lab for analysis of bulk sample is what we call it. That's my preferred method, but I have used lead check swabs as a qualitative assessment as a screening measures, if you will. Yeah, yeah. like a first step. Yeah, well, that's that's kind, of, kind of the way that I've always done it is check it with that and then verify it, like you said, you know, on that. So I was just wondering on some of that. Go ahead. Sorry, Barb. I was just going to, like you said, the older buildings, but one of our clients is revamping some older buildings for like apartments and such, right? And yep. those those buildings are pretty old. Yeah, the, the, there used to be um, some industrial businesses that were in there, paper yeah. companies and stuff like that. So sometimes I think you don't know what's what's going on in there until you get someone like yourself, you know, digging deeper. I just wanted to go back a little bit about the whole IH. And like I said, I'm not comparing it to other safety things, but sometimes I think when I said it's kind of invisible and it just seems a lot, a lot more complicated, like, you know, fall protection, you know, you tell a worker you need to wear this eyeglasses. I'm keeping it simple, you know, wear them to protect yourself because if you get hurt, it's an instant, right? You're going to know when you're hurt. And I feel like a lot of the things you deal with, you have to work with people and possibly convince them to do the right things because they might not see adverse effects right away, right? So they might be they might be like, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm good. But the scary thing is 10 more years down the road or maybe not even that long, like you said, you just don't know the effect that's building up, correct? Well, absolutely. That's why we have so many asbestos cases still today because yeah, we, that's we're crazy. a latency period of 30 or 40 years, yeah. especially when it comes to asbestos where there's no known safe level of exposure, especially as, as it pertains to protection against mesothelioma, which is a cancer of the lining of an organ. And most common is the pleural lining, which is the lining of your lung. So with asbestos, like if there's a visible dust and that's a asbestos containing product, then you're at a very high dangerous levels of very dangerous concentration at that point if you have visible dust. Now, it just depends on, on the contaminant that you're talking about. One thing about, you know, welding fumes, you are going to see visible fumes. You know, that could be a benefit because you can see the direction the fumes are traveling. You can see if they're being captured by the, the fume extraction hood and things like that. But yeah, it's something that's very toxic, um, has severe consequences such as silica, asbestos, when you have visible dust, you're at very high levels that are um, dangerous, that are likely dangerous at that point. So, um, yeah, and, and you're talking about organic vapors, same thing. And, and it depends. It depends on the contaminant as well. Like some things are insoluble and some agents are soluble. Now, soluble agents are things that, that dissolve in water and most of our Body fluid is comprised of water. So, if you think about it, if 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 you inhale an agent that is it's soluble in water, it's going to have an irritating effect, such as ammonia, 
something like that. So as you inhale it, it's going to be irritating. It's going to drive you away. You're going to know it's something's there. Um, Whereas something that's insoluble, like asbestos, you don't, you can't see it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You don't know you're inhaling it. And so, so it has very poor warning properties. So some, some, some agents have better warning properties than others. So I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a while. We have 80 some episodes and we've, we've had this guest with this topic on before, but not as much. And I just feel like, you know, there's a need for listeners to listen because like when you kind of explain to our audience, you know, what is IH? I think a lot of people might get confused in the safety world. What does that break out to? And I know I, I was looking online a little bit and they kind of refer to it as the science and art. That is, it is the science and art. And that's one thing about industrial hygiene. It's a very unique profession. It's a combination of science, chemistry, engineering, disciplines, toxicology. So again, some medical aspects, biology aspects of it. So it's a very unique discipline. And there's, and quite honestly, there's a need for, for more industrial hygienists. There's, there's a shortage of CIHs. I, I can tell you that. So any of your listeners trying, trying to, you know, decide on a career path, and I would you're interested in science, engineering, chemistry, biology, you know, think about industrial hygiene. Well, one thing I, I definitely like you, about you, Jerome, and the reason why I've always kind of liked working with you is because you explain things in a common way that even somebody like I can understand. <laughs> so thank you very much, and thank you very much for being on the show today. But now is what I always like to say, the best part of the show is to see how you do on it's our- It's the best part of the show Oh, here. come on, Barb. It is, it <laughs> the is. The guest is our best part of the well, show. Well, that's true. That, yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I, guess, I guess she has me on that one. But uh, are you ready for our jokes? I doubt it, but go ahead. Yeah, you doubt it. You're, you're right there. <laughs> okay. How does a taco say grace? How does a taco say grace? How does a typo say grace? Taco. taco. Like a enchilada, like a taco. Oh, a taco. Okay. <laughs> How does a taco say grace? Say grace? <laughs> oh, like I, I eat enough Mexican food. I should know this, you know, but I had no clue. Let us. Pray. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we we talked about our commonality in faith, so we had to get a yeah. joke like that in there. A- absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I um, remember that one. Okay. Well, I don't know this. The taco one might be better than this one, so I don't know. How do you get a squirrel to like you? How do you get a squirrel to like you? I do this all the time, by the way. How do I get a squirrel to like me? I don't know. I wish I had at least an answer for you. That's okay. <laughs> None of our guests do usually. You, you act like a nut. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Hey, thank you very much, Jerome, for being on our show today on our podcast. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you and learn more about IH or perhaps need some of your services, how would they do that? Well, search our website. Look us up at jespear.com. That's jespear.com. We also started a podcast recently, and we had our first episode release over the past week. We're recording our next episode coming up, which is going to be on a trenching incident, trenching fatality incident. What is your podcast called? It's called Safety Experts. So look us up. Yeah, great. It's on all the platforms. So any of the platforms, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, YouTube, and it's also on our website as well. And you, and you can subscribe to our, our, our list. We send out you know, periodic technical articles or content on different topics, safety and industrial hygiene related topics. So be sure to subscribe to our, our newsletter. That sounds good. Well, it sounds like your business 
has grown throughout the years, adding a partner and is doing well and you have great services to offer your clients and kind of meld to what they need, what their needs are. So that's always that's always a good thing. And to hear that you have a podcast out there, it's just a great way to share information with with people that are, are looking to be safe. Well, that's what we have to do. We all have to help each other and stuff like that. Speaking of that, I just wanted to also remind our listeners of www.healthandsafetynow.com where if you need training, online training, we have there. If you just click on Ted's Ed, you can have tons of different types of training. IH, for an example, if you want safety training, driver training. So Click on that if you need some extra little help for some of your employees. Sounds good. Well, we appreciate you being on the show and taking time out of your day. Yes. All right. Appreciate you having me. Educate us on IAH a little bit more, and our viewers have a lot of takeaways to to learn from, so we appreciate that. Yes, I, I think that definitely if you're a person like myself, been in safety for quite a while, IH has always been kind of the thing that kind of makes you go, Oh, well, yeah, it's you know, a little overwhelming. It is, but but you do a great job at explaining it, and I would highly suggest if you have questions and concerns, this is the person you want to talk to. Definitely. All right. Thank you, Jerome, and have a super safe day. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Ted Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week. 